because who helps keep them in check? Like, who do they go to? And some people will be like, oh, well, I don't need anybody to keep me in check. I, that means they're only dependent on them. Now, some people go, well, it's God. I have a higher power. I pray to That's good, but Jesus is not going to actually come down here and tell you, dude, why did you do that? But your best friend might take you to lunch and say, you acted like a complete idiot and you need to apologize. So there, there's a reason we get relationships down here, <laughs> not just that one. Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. I'm Dr. Lisa Summerauer, a breakup and divorce strategist. If you've experienced a breakup or a divorce, you already know how stressful it can be. But here's the thing, divorce isn't the end of your story. It's a new beginning starting from where you are right now. So join me for a unique blend of humor and straight talk as we navigate the ups and downs, drama and trauma, and emotional roller coaster ride experienced when a relationship ends. You won't be alone. I'll introduce you to guests who share their experiences and success stories. Come here for actionable tips, tools, and strategies that empower you to move forward. Whether you need healing, guidance, or a fresh perspective, I'm here to remind you, it's your life, your journey. Here on Divorce is Not a Destination. Good evening, everybody. Hello. Happy Thursday. How could I forget that? It's, it's the same day every week. I'm just getting my volume up a little bit here. Happy Thursday. Wow, what a week. What a week. Dr. Lisa here. Welcome to Divorce is Not a Destination. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about picking up the pieces after your divorce. And I'm going to say picking up the pieces after a breakup or a divorce, because as many of you already know, some of you have had breakups that have been just as difficult and more difficult than some folks who have actually gone through a divorce. And if you're like me and you've had a couple of both, <laughs> some of my breakups have been actually more difficult than some of my divorces. There's obviously paperwork involved in one, but emotionally, um, just mentally, psychologically, what you have to go through, nobody can tell you that one is worse than the other. Your experience is unique to you. So this is the show where I bring what I do in my practice here so that I can learn from you and hopefully you can learn some things from me. Usually what I'm sharing is something that <laughs> I either thought was really interesting or curious for me or it related to something that I have experienced or I was learning something. Um, and then I have a couple of shows. I have one show coming up that was given to me by a girlfriend because of an experience she went through and she literally called and said, you need to do a show on this. So who am I to, to disappoint? Hey, mom. Hey, Milana. How are you doing? Nadine is here. Hi, Christine. Okay. There's another Jackie. We have a Jackie and a Jacqueline. I'm going to see. I just messaged uh, Wanda. What's happening? I hope, did everybody have an okay time? Clap if you were able to get on okay tonight because I had a little bit of technical issue with, um, good. I had a little tech issue. The green room wasn't open. So I usually try to get into the green room before just to make sure everything looks good. Let me do one little housekeeping thing here to make sure my screen stays where it's supposed to go. So Divorce is Not a Destination is actually a program that I have designed to help people, mostly women in high profile positions, work through the drama and trauma associated with one of their breakups or their breakups and divorces. And I offer them community support and confidentiality in my coaching practice. But I also authored a book called Divorce is Not a Destination. And you'll see the link for my website there. If you click that, you can pre-order a copy of the book. Um, you can pre-order a copy of the ebook on Amazon. I probably am a couple of weeks away before you can pre-order an actual copy of the book. So a hard copy will get mailed to you. But this came about as really a lot of my own life experiences. When you get the book, you'll realize it's also a lot of the life experiences of other people in my family. Some of them are on here now going, what? Yeah, because I realize we have a lot of divorces in our clan. Like, just start thinking about them. For my family members who are on here right now or listening, start thinking about all the divorces in our family. And it's kind of mind-boggling. But tonight, it's about picking up those pieces. So, so just think about this. Statistics say that roughly half of first marriages, because, you know, we hear half of divorces. But when you hear that, they're really specifically talking about Half of the first marriages in the United States end in divorce. I think it's 40 some percent. Now, if you've had a second marriage, that rate increases. It goes up. 
third marriages, the rate goes up over 70%. The, the third marriage is going to end in divorce. So yeah, if you've had a couple of marriages like me, that's not really good odds, but it is what it is, right? It is what it is. There are people who have had far more relationships than two or three marriages that have also not gone the distance. So depending on what your value system says and what you've learned about marriage or a relationship or whatever it is, is how much weight you put on that. But I think the big thing is that we want to have healthy relationships. And even if they don't last us the rest of our lives, we want to feel like there was benefit in having the relationship, that we grew from the relationship and hopefully the other person did. And maybe you just came to an understanding that this isn't the best place for me now. And so you break up. But very often, that's not the case. Very often, one person, hey, Damali, one person makes the decision and the other person has to live with it. And you're left with this unresolved issue or angst or even anger or depression or whatever, because you don't understand what happened or you were so in love with this person, even though it was like hell on earth, you wanted to make it work. Why are you trying to make hell on earth work? Just a question. So most people understand that there are risks involved in getting married, right? But no one, nobody gets married thinking that they're going to plan for their divorce. They don't have this expectation that, yeah, I'm going to get married in about four or five years. I'm planning on this divorce happening. That's not what happens. So we're, we're not really prepared for this thing because we don't anticipate it. And, and maybe that's why it ranks so high on this stress meter. So on, there's this ranking for things that are stressful in our lives. The number one thing is the death of a spouse. The number two thing is divorce. So it's no question that we put a lot of emotional uh, energy into divorce and dealing with the divorce. So it's not a small thing. Getting through it for most people requires a lot of patience um, and a lot of diligence and a lot of stamina. You, you really, it, it can just emotionally and physically drain you going through a divorce. And there are really no shortcuts for that. It's going to take you whatever it takes you to get through. However, I know from experience and I know from my, from my uh, coach training and the, the education that I've gotten going through this, I know that there are things that you can do to make this process not take decades because there are people that literally spend decades either not getting over or not even dealing with their breakup or their divorce. And it causes all these other problems in their lives and they don't really connect the dots to figure out what that is. My mom and I actually just had a I had dinner with a friend of mine who for the last 20 some years has not been on a date. And she knows that I'm going to talk about this because she's the one that gave me the idea for a show, but I'm not going to say her name. Um, she has not been on a date in over 20 years. And it's because of the last relationship, the serious relationship that she was in that went on and off again for, I think she said about 20 years. And it was so emotionally draining and so psychologically devastating for her that she basically just shut down. She moved to another state just to so she couldn't accidentally keep going back to this person. Okay, I'm gonna give you this, I'm gonna give you this little tidbit that I'm gonna talk about in the show when I do the show on this. And I'm thinking up the title. I think it's gonna be uh why do we, how do we breathe life into something that's dead? So what she found out after 20 years of living her life, worried about this relationship and the aftermath and wondering what this guy was doing and how he had impacted her life, she decided to try to find him only to find out that he's been dead for like 12 years. Yeah, I know, just sit with that. She's, he's been dead for 12 years, but he's been taking up space in her head since they broke up. He's not even alive anymore. So yeah, I'm going to do a show on what's the dead stuff that you might be keeping alive for no particular reason. And this was like a whole person that didn't exist anymore. So there is a path for you to get through the pain that you're dealing. If you've gone through a breakup or divorce, it doesn't matter if it happened this morning or if it happened five or 10 years ago. There may be some things that you hear in this show that you had not thought about. And you may go, I did not realize I was carrying this around, or I feel really proud of myself because I actually have been dealing with some stuff. Time is a big part of it, but there are really some tips and some things that you can actually do physically to help you move through some things. So one, <laughs> give yourself time before dating. I'm going to say that 20 years time might be too much. Mom, what do you think? I think if you take 20 years in between your last date and the next one, it could be, 
it could be a little bit too long. Now, it's still an individual decision, but the problem with my friend who literally has taken 20 years and has not gone on a date, her problem now is she is so clueless about what dating is even like that I think there's just a an anxiety that comes up. I don't want to say fear. I'm going to say it's this anxiety that comes up. Just She doesn't even know how to have a conversation with somebody that could lead to coffee. And so I got her on an app while she was hanging out with us. I got her on a free one, Facebook's dating site, just so she could have that experience of looking at men's pictures, reading their bio and saying yes or no to does she like them or not. Either you pick the X or you hit the heart. This is not that deep, people. It is not brain surgery. You can get on that. If you're on Facebook, it's free. You can get on there today. Nobody will know. And you put your little bio in and pick a couple of pictures that you want. And what I love about dating apps, I'm always going to say this when I talk about dating apps. Who is that? What I love about dating apps. Hey, Milana, how are you? Did you want to come on and say something? What I love about dating apps is you get to practice this in the privacy of your own home and it's safe and you're not out in a club or a bar or the grocery store or on the street or any place else. And you get to sit there and go, yeah, I kind of like him. I don't like him at all. I'm I don't like what you wrote. And I you can just train yourself to be okay saying no, because for a lot of people it's difficult. So give yourself some time before dating. That doesn't mean you can't get on an app and and not even date. This is like a pre-date exercise. So when you begin dating and you start doing it before you're ready, man, um, it's kind of, it's it's dangerous, and I don't mean in a physically dangerous way, it's just emotionally it can be dangerous for yourself because. You could be creating additional challenges because you have not processed what just happened in that last relationship. And if you don't process what happened in that last relationship, it could come back to haunt you and whoever this other person is, right? Hey, Ron, it could come back to haunt you and whoever this person is that you are trying to get to know. So (laughs) they could be getting more than they bargained for. And I don't mean that in a really good positive way. You know, you don't want to sit at dinner and start crying hysterically over your ex. You also don't want to sit at dinner and start talking about how wonderful that last relationship was and you're just distraught and depressed that it's over. And do you think I should call him? You you don't want to do that while you're on a date with somebody else. And this all sounds crazy, but it's happened. Like, oh my gosh, I just had a flashback. Blind date. I'm blaming my mother for this one because she set it up. I've only been on three and she set up two of them. All three of them All three of them should be podcasts. Maybe I'll do one podcast on disastrous blind dates because all three of mine have been disastrous. So this particular blind date, I did hear about everything concerning his ex to the point where he actually broke down crying, telling me how much he still loved her. Yeah. So you think I'm making some of this stuff up? I might have lived it. If it seems completely ridiculous, it's a good chance that I lived it. So I found myself kind of consoling him, telling him, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be fine. Maybe after I leave, you should, you should give her a call. Tell her how you really feel. So take the time that you need to heal and maybe process the fact that the relationship is over because some people are out here trying to get over something, um, but they're not being honest with themselves. They have not let go emotionally to this other person. And while a healthy relationship, a good relationship can help you create distance. I don't know that it's a good idea to use it as the thing that helps you get past another relationship because you just take all your same crap into the new one. So so give yourself time uh, before you start dating again. Do a little work on yourself. Have a little fun with yourself, by yourself, for yourself. Take an opportunity to make over your life. So if you've been with someone, I, I have a, had a client who been together 25 years. And there may be some of you here, if you've had really long relationships, long-term relationships, you change when you're in a relationship for a certain period of time. It doesn't necessarily take decades. It could be years. And there are things about you that change as they should if you have blended your life with somebody else. Both of you have probably changed to some degree. You've made compromises. You're doing things differently. You're doing things that you might not have been doing when you were by yourself because that's part of what a relationship is. Now that you aren't with that person anymore, you realize you have time that you didn't have before and you may have changed, you may have grown. There may be things that you really didn't like doing anymore, 
but you didn't want to say anything because you didn't know if they were going to receive it, if they were going to feel slighted, if they were going to be like, well, why are you changing on me? We change when we grow. That's the whole point of growth. It, it means change is happening. So in my high school yearbook, you know, your friends in your high school yearbook put things like they're really sweet things. They think, oh, I like the person you are. I hope you never change. So someone had written that in my high school yearbook and my mother read it. And she said, oh, that's the worst thing you could tell somebody. <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't I don't think they meant it in a bad way. She said, if you never change, you die. I'm 17. That really, I really am pretty sure that my classmate was not thinking, I hope you never change, i.e. I hope you die. I think they were using it as a compliment, but my mom made a good point. It stuck with me, as you can see. Um, we do want to change and we do grow. So if you get out of a relationship, take some time to see what has changed, what's different about you, or what are some of the things that you want to change? Because you just feel like, you know what, I think my life could be going in a different direction if I made these changes that are going to feel better to me. And you're the only person that knows what those things are, but you won't find out if you jump right into another relationship and you get back into just trying to please somebody else, especially if you're a people pleaser, especially if you're somebody that has a lot of empathy where you jump in and you start being the caretaker to someone else, you can easily forget you because you're so busy focusing on the other person. And this is that opportunity after a breakup or a divorce. Divorce is a breakup. I'm being redundant. Just work with me on this one. Um, this is that opportunity after a relationship ends for you to just spend time getting to know you. You can give yourself a whole lot more consideration for changes and for accepting change and even inviting change. So think about it. What is it? And, and if, even if you're not in a relationship right now and haven't been in one for a minute, think about what are some of the things that I would like to change? Are there things in your life right now that you would like to change? And now that I'm asking you the question, you're actually thinking about it. Damali, Ron, anybody, what are, what's going on? Hey, Christine and Jackie, what is something, are there any things or is there one thing even in your life that you're thinking about? This is something that I would like to change. And if you don't share it here, fine, but write it down, write it down for yourself. So when you get off the show tonight, you can sit down and think about what might that look like if I change this thing? Third thing you can do is learn from the breakup or divorce. Learn from it. Um, there are a lot of things you can learn from a breakup if you really sit down. If you really want to get help, you know me, I'm an advocate for therapy all day, every day. <laughs> get yourself a therapist. I am a coach or a strategist or sometimes on one of the other shows that I, I'm on, I, I'm, I say guru, a breakup and divorce coach, strategist, guru. But a therapist is different. A therapist can help you really peel back the onion on things that have happened in your past way before that relationship so you can connect the dots and help yourself be really much, much more healthy, much healthier. And it might help you see where some things went wrong in the relationship because you just weren't aware of certain aspects of how you think or how you process information and how that might have been problematic for your ex. So think about the things that went wrong. And I would suggest you write those things down. I'd also tell you to write the things down that went right. Write down the things that you liked about that relationship, because when you get into another one, um, it's good to have an idea of what you like. I, I've been on this kick lately where somebody asks you, like, what kind of things do you like to do? When people don't have an answer for that, or you're like, what well, do you want to see this movie or that? Oh, I don't care. Oh, it doesn't matter. But whatever you want. Is it, am I the only one that that annoys? Because it annoys the daylight out of me because it's like you're not three. And even a three-year-old would probably make something up. They could tell you, Barbie, I want to see Barbie. Or I want to see, I want to, I want to see, what did I just watch? The Little Mermaid. Me and my cousin Shannon just watched The Little Mermaid. And yeah, we both cried at the end. And then she got home and told me, drop everything and go see Barbie. So now I got to go see Barbie. But what did you learn that, what are the things you liked? What are the things you did not like? And what did you learn about yourself as a result of being in that relationship? So what were, you can be more specific to your partner. What were some of their really, really, really good qualities? Like you want these again in the next person you meet. And then what are some of the qualities that you're like, whoo, man, dodged a bullet or just didn't like them. I lived with them. My mom said there are the things that you absolutely 
like you have deal breakers, you have things you love, and then there's that area in between. It's like, I don't necessarily like this, but I can live with it. You're going to have those. And if you think you're not going to have those, you're kidding yourself because there is no perfect person out there. The question is, the deal breakers, are you paying attention to them? I guess there's a, there's another small category. The deal breakers are deal breakers. That's period. So that person shouldn't even really be in your life. So scratch deal breakers. It's the things that really, 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 really get on your nerves. Like really get on your nerves. I can't even say that enough, but they don't happen that often. So you can tolerate them. I mean, I, I can't even think of one of those little annoyances. If one of you has one posted so I can see if, if one of them pops up that I can read. It's just something really annoying. And my mom says, you're going to have a small percentage of that with anybody, even if it takes a minute for them to come out. But because there's so many other positive attributes, you can deal with it. Now, when I'm talking about that little percentage of things that drive you nuts, I am not talking about like severe narcissistic tendencies. I'm not talking about abusive stuff. That's I'm just talking about normal human. Man, she gets on my nerves every now and then. He can grate my nerves every now. I'm talking about that kind of stuff. Um, so you got the good qualities about the, your ex, the bad qualities. And what type of person do you think would be a good match for you now? So how are you going to figure that out? First of all, get a piece of paper out and just, just free flow, just daydream. Just literally sit down and write out, what would my perfect partner be like? And I want you to, you can describe them, how tall, how, how old, you know, what's their education? What do they do for a living? You can you can make this thing so detailed that it's just like almost jumps off the page like an avatar because it's all you just getting it out of your head. What are the things that would be perfect, ideal for you if you could design an ideal person? Like you're making your own, you're making your own Ken doll or Kim doll or whatever doll you would be making. That's what you're thinking of. So write all that stuff down because it gives you something to start with. It's again, what is it that you like and what don't you like? And if somebody asks you, what do you want in a partner and you don't even have an answer for it, you're just kind of out here experimenting with people. You're just out here going, well, I, I think she's kind of cool or I think he's kind of cool. And you start dating him and you're like, I don't, I don't think I like this. Well, you should know there are some things that you like and there's or would like and some things you don't like. And the only way you're going to know that is to start thinking about it. So you have to really allow yourself to sit down and write out what interests you. What kind of interest do you want this person to have? Do you want them to be athletic? Do you want them to be a bookworm? Do, do they need to like movies? What type of movies do you want them to like? Um, Viola Davis in her book, and I can't think of the name of her book. It's probably on my shelf somewhere. Anyway, in her book, she tells the story of a girlfriend telling her to do this exercise. And she wrote down every single thing she could think of. She said, I am asking God for exactly what I want in a mate. I don't care how crazy it sounds. So she wanted somebody that used to be athletic. She wanted somebody who had already been married before. Um, she wanted somebody who was from down south who loved the She went through this whole descriptive thing. And that's pretty much the guy she's ended up with. That's pretty much him. He's from down south. I think he was a former football player. He had been divorced already. And they, I don't know if he didn't have any children, but they've adopted a daughter together. So, and and it, I, it's just one of those things. I don't, I'm not going to say, oh, she willed it into her life. No, she had a clue of what she was looking for so that when she saw him and met him, it was checking off the boxes and she could get to know this person knowing that he had so many of these attributes that she wanted. So don't go into something clueless unless you absolutely don't have a choice, but that should not be your relationship situation, you know? Um, maybe you buy shoes like that, just go through the shoe store and walk around and look. But usually, even if you're looking for shoes, you got an idea what you're looking for. Now, this could be a little challenging and you might have to ask some really good friends who care about you enough to be honest. What mistakes did you make during that relationship? Like we're talking about what you learned from your divorce or your breakup. Hey, Pam, what are some of the mistakes that you made? And you may know some of them right off the top. You, you may be like, I, I could have been, you know, less harsh. I could have been more attentive. I could have communicated what I liked and didn't like better. And if you're really clueless, find that girlfriend or if you've got a sister that's able to tell you something that you can hear it. 
go to somebody and go, what are some of the things that you could look at and go, you could have probably amped it up a little bit better. You could have stepped your game up here or you, you kind of dropped the ball a few times because it's going to help you figure out what things do you need to do to work on yourself. So as painful as divorce can be, it could also be a really, really good learning opportunity so that in your next relationship, you can go into it with more confidence, with more confidence because of what you've learned. And, and also show a little bit more grace because just imagine the other person doing this kind of work too. They may have learned some things about themselves. So if you can learn to show grace, that's going to bless you because you want to try to forgive yourself and forgive other people. So forgiveness, this is the next item on the list, actually. They say you can't move on until you forgive yourself. Uh, actually, they say you have to forgive your ex-spouse, but I'm going to throw, <laughs> I'm going to throw forgive yourself in there as well. Um, and it may take time. Some people are so hard on themselves that they're just, they, they punish themselves actually by not even getting in, it's into another relationship. It's like, I don't deserve love. I don't deserve to be in a healthy relationship. So they just give up. But some people are so angry with their ex and maybe they have hurt you. Maybe it has been just, it's been so wrong and so hurtful. Maybe they, they did it in a manner that was just, you feel disrespected. You question if there was ever any love. It could be a whole bunch of things. But my question is, how long do you want to carry that around? It's almost like their behavior has triggered an emotional reaction in you that's outlasting the relationship. It's still living in you and they've been gone. So don't let somebody else's behavior trigger an emotion in you that outlives them. You got to figure out if that relationship is over and you're still harboring a whole lot of, of anger or resentment or frustration. One, you don't want to have that living in your body because it's unhealthy. And two, you don't want to end up taking that out on somebody else. That displaced anger is a, yeah, it could be horrifying. So you need to figure out how to work through that. And it, it could be that you're in what we call the loss cycle. So you might be familiar with the grief cycle. And the grief cycle is when somebody dies. It's literally called a grief cycle. But there's a thing called a loss cycle that mirrors that. And that's when a relationship ends. And you go through, you go through anger. You go through um, denial, bargaining, um, depression, and acceptance. So it's like five things. Some will say there's seven. You'll see some with eight. But there are five that you can pretty much see in every one of these um, cycle diagrams. And the thing about the loss cycle is you don't go through them in exact order. You don't have to go through them in the order I just listed them. You can go through them more than once. You can weave your way around them. You know how your emotions are. One day you're really ticked off and angry. And the next day you're crying all day because you're depressed. And a week later, you feel like, you know, I'll do anything to get this person back. That's bargaining. Or you might not even be out of the relationship yet when you're bargaining. It's like, well, let's go to therapy. Let's go to counseling. That could be the bargaining part of the relationship. And those five things could just weave around and you could be in some part of that loss cycle for 18 months to two years. And that's why I said you could have broken up this morning or it could have been last, last Christmas and you're starting to feel some kind of way because your emotions are still not leveled. See if you can identify what part of the loss cycle you're in. Are you still feeling angry? Are you still in the denial phase where you're like, I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe I can't believe this can't be over denial. Um, are you bargaining anything you can to get them back or keep them or trying to convince yourself if I lose 20 pounds, I can I, maybe I can get them back. Are you in that phase? Are you in the depression phase? Like you realize that it's happened. And you're really sad about it. And I don't mean a clinical depression where you need, you may need a med. I'm not going to tell you you don't need med. And I'm definitely going to tell you to get help if you stay in a depressed state and it's going on like six, seven, eight months just in that depressed state, because that could turn into something that's harder for you to get out. And it's always safer to go talk to somebody than not. All right. So if you're in depression, but when you or you could get in or you could be in acceptance, you could be in the phase where you're like, no, it's over. I know it's over. And you may even be at the point where you're like, not only is it over and I know it's over, I'm glad it's over. Six months ago, I would have taken this person back. Um, a year ago, I was begging him to come back. But today I realize this is the healthiest thing for me that this relationship is over. And because 
you were writing that list of what you liked and didn't like, you can look at the list of things you did not like and go, and this is why I'm glad it's over because this list is like three times longer than the list of the things I liked in that relationship. So you want to forgive your ex and you definitely want to forgive yourself. And even in that process of listing things that you could learn, things that you could have done differently, there's forgiveness for you in that. To forgive yourself for making mistakes, not you know being the best that you might've been able to be all the time or at key times when they might've needed. So forgive yourself and, and that will let you move on. Get the support that you need. This is my fifth thing. Get the support that you need. Now, this could be from a friend or a family member. It could be support groups for somebody who is recently divorced. It could be from your therapist. It could be from somebody like me who does coaching in this area. But avoid that mistake of thinking you can handle this healing process all by yourself. Matter of fact, um, I think yesterday I was on a show and I, I, I just have a thing about people being passionate about something and people having a good friend that they can confide in. And so the passion part is because I think if they can be passionate about something or an activity, that means they have it in them to be compassionate about you and a relationship. The reason I think having that that confidant, that one close, at least one close friend or family member, if you're involved with someone and you're like, okay, if something happens between us and you you get you step out of character, you're being a little straight. And if I want to go talk to somebody who really knows you, who you trust, who you will listen to if they tell you you're you're wrong, who is that person? When somebody doesn't have a person like that in their life my little antenna go up. It's like a parade. I hear the music. I see flags waving because who helps keep them in check? Like, who do they go to? And some people will be like, oh, well, I don't need anybody to keep me in check. I That means they're only dependent on them. Now, some people go, well, it's God. I have a higher power. I pray to, th-. that's good, but Jesus is not going to actually come down here and tell you, dude, why did you do that? But your best friend might take you to lunch and say, you acted like a complete idiot and you need to apologize. So there's a reason we get relationships down here, (laughs) not just that one. So who is that person in your life, first of all? And and who is that person in your significant other's life if you have one or when you go to look for one? This may be one of the questions you want to ask. So uh, when you're having a really bad time, when things aren't going right in your life, when you need somebody to help you get straight, who do you contact? Who's your best friend? Who's somebody that's been around for a while that knows you in and out? And if they literally don't have anybody, I'm just saying it might not be a red flag. Yeah, let's make it a red flag. It would be a red flag. It, it, It might not be the entire parade, but it's definitely going to get a red flag because Who's that? Who 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 else is there? Who do they respect? Who do they love? Who do they admire? Who is mentoring them? Who do they go to for counsel? And if it's nobody, 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 and all of those boxes, yeah, I'd be a little concerned. Be a little concerned. I know with my parents, my mom had her sisters, my dad had his brothers. They had their parents, but they also had friends. They also had friends. To this day, those friends are still around. And so, yeah, that's real. Number six, what about your daily routine? What do you do every day? Do you have a daily routine? They're really, really good. I'm going to tell you, a daily routine is so important. It's so powerful that when you get out of your daily routine, like right now, I'm a little off of my sleep pattern because I'm not going to bed consistently at the time I know I should be going to bed. And the way you have a really good tomorrow is to have a really good tonight. <laughs> and so if I'm off with my sleeping, the next day is just not going to be as, as fabulous as I wanted it to be. And I, and I already know that as soon as I wake up, I just don't feel I can get a lot of stuff done and I feel OK. But my energy is just different. My focus takes me a little bit more energy to stay focused on things. So what are what is your daily routine? Do you get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee? And then like my mom comes and sits out on the back porch and up until she quits smoking, which she's working on, she sits on the back porch and has a couple puffs of her cigarette and looks out over the backyard. And, you know, you just get into this routine and it is a wonderful thing. It's not about being bored. It's about knowing that there's a process and a plan for your day that help keeps you on track. 
So, you know, you're you're bathing and brushing your teeth routine. I, you know, you hopefully you're doing that regularly. Are you eating healthy? Do you have do you have a nutrition plan to your eating or are you in an emotional state because of your divorce or your breakup that your eating is all over the map? Like you're not even tracking, you're not paying attention to what you're eating. You know and you're telling yourself, "Well, I'm depressed. I don't feel good. I'm going to eat whatever. I just want comfort food." Don't comfort food yourself into a diabetic coma. So pay attention to what you're putting in your body, no matter what's going on in your life. And I just talked about going to bed. Figure out when is the best time for you to go to bed to get a really good full night's sleep and start setting your clock to remind you. You can use your timer on your phone, something so that you know this is when I need to start winding down to get ready for bed, right? And your social schedule. What are you? What were you doing before? Because your entire social life doesn't have to change because your relationship ended. So even if there were things you were doing together, some of those things you can still continue to do. But this is great because you get to find new social things to put on your calendar. What you want to avoid is just falling into this slump and allowing the actual quality of your life to just slide down down the hill. And if you think about, I'm going to, I'm going to use this example because I talked about how the loss cycle is so much like the grief cycle. This applies here too. When you lose someone, when somebody dies in your life, if it's somebody really close to you, your spouse, perhaps it's really easy to just not want to do anything. You could just stop caring. And the same thing applies. If you can get yourself in a routine and part of that routine is making sure you have some sort of social life that is more than you just sitting at home. And some things you can change up. Maybe there are places you don't want to go that you went to with your, your ex or your, your, your ex-spouse, but you can find other things to replace that so that you're still doing something. The key is not to just be sitting at home, watching TV, eating stuff that you can't pronounce the ingredients to, which is actually a good way to tell if you should be eating it. If you can't pronounce the ingredients, why are you sticking it in your body? Just something to think about. Call that a little bonus. Um, avoid making your situation worse. And I just mentioned one, just the eating, but not, not just eating, overeating. Overeating makes your situation worse. Not sleeping enough will make your situation worse. Over drinking will make your uh, excessive drinking. Starting to use any kind of drugs is what's gonna make your situation worse. Um, even a rebound relationship, just getting into a relationship for the sole purpose of not being by yourself. Well, doesn't that make the other person feel oh so special? <laughs> You're only here because you don't wanna watch reruns at night. So avoid making your situation worse by doing things in excess or doing things on just like, just reactionary things, just going out and doing something stupid just because you don't want to be by yourself. And, and think about that. If you've just come out of a relationship, this is the time to think about that. If it happened a few days ago or a few weeks ago, and you might have friends go, come on, what you need is to come out and have some drinks. You need to get drunk. No, you probably don't really need to get drunk. Yeah, you probably don't really need to get drunk. Yeah, somebody on here tell me if you've ever been drunk, if anything really, really good has ever come of you getting blasted, just let me know because you might be the outlier that says, every time I get drunk, something fabulous happens in my life. Because if that's not the case, then I don't recommend you take this period in your life to go get wasted. Especially, you know, friends think they're doing something good. They just want to take your mind off of it. The fact of the matter is getting drunk is only going to take your mind off of it temporarily. And then tomorrow you're going to wake up feeling like crap and still thinking about it. So sometimes the best thing to do is not try to avoid everything in your life. Figure out how you can deal with it. Like boost your boost your uh, confidence and empower yourself to really deal with the stuff instead of trying to avoid it. Um, get your feet back on like solid ground and avoid doing anything that is going to make the current situation more difficult for you to get out of or deal with. And all of those things that are in excess are probably in that category, including something that could look harmless like overeating. It's just not, it's not going to be good. You end up sluggish. And if you stay up late and you end up eating more, it's just, it's a horrible cycle. Here's a fun one. Figure out ways to get out of your house. 
get out of your house. Don't sit around in your house all day when you get off of work or all evening, just staring off into space, looking at television, watching other people live their lives. A good book now is cool. Good for your imagination. It's also a good way to get you to go to sleep at night. It can help you sleep. But get out of your house, get some sunshine, get that vitamin D, get some fresh air. I just uh, gave an action step to someone and it was just go to a restaurant or a tavern near you or something where you can have a sandwich and something to drink. And it could be a soda, an iced tea, whatever it is. I'm not saying you can't have any alcohol. You can have your beer or a glass of wine. But the point was to get her out of her home so she doesn't feel like I can't go out unless I have somebody to go out with. And so many of her friends, all they all had children. And so it wasn't that people didn't want to hang out with her. They didn't have babysitters. So I said, okay, what if you just start going out by yourself? It doesn't even need to be once a week. Just once every other week, once a month, go out now. Mommy, you'll remember Linda. This is a friend of ours from years ago. Actually, actually, she was my biological dad's girlfriend, who was then his ex-girlfriend. And after they broke up, she, she's not on here, but she'd be okay telling me telling this story because she knows I've told her before. So I'm good. I'm not giving you guys secrets. Like you're going to be like, she just telling these people's business. If I tell you, they, it's okay for me to tell you, especially if I give you their name, it's okay. Because something really good happened with Linda. So Linda and I stayed in touch even after she and my dad, Billy, broke up. And she was like, I just, I get off work and I just go home. I don't know how I'm going to meet anybody. And I said, well, what do you do when you get home? I go home, I get comfortable, I have a glass of wine. I said, okay. So when you get off work, she, she didn't drive in, she caught the train in. I said, get off work and go to a lounge or a bar or someplace or a restaurant where you can have something to eat and get a glass of wine. And she met this amazing man that she ended up marrying and she's still with today. How good is that? So the whole point was she stopped the routine of just going home and sitting at home by herself every night because you're pretty much guaranteed not to meet somebody that way. Like even the UPS guy is only going to stay for so long because he's <laughs> he's on the clock. So go someplace, do something fun. You can go, I wouldn't say a movie because you're not really going to you're not really going to meet somebody in a movie theater, but there's restaurants or you know, your little local pub or bar that you can go to and you can get a sandwich or something light to eat. And maybe a sports bar where there are going to be a lot of people if you're into sports. Um, if you're into bowling, even if you're not on a league, you can still go. You can bowl by yourself or you can go there, get something to eat, have a drink and watch other teams bowl just for a little while. It's just to get you out of your home. So think about what that might look like. There's some obvious things like the gym or take a yoga class. Go take golf lessons. For some reason, archery has been coming up a lot for me this week. I don't know what that is about, but I have said archery more times this week than I'm sure I've said in the last 10 years. I don't know. I'll let you know if something comes of this. But I've been telling a lot of people, do something weird that you never thought of doing, like archery. I just had somebody yesterday tell me they were going out with a group today, and it was some outdoor activity, and archery was included. So maybe that was maybe that's what it was. Um, create something new that you can enjoy doing? Like what is something you've always wanted to do that you haven't done yet that might be fun? So maybe you learn to roller skate or maybe you take swimming lessons. I met a woman last year who is in her 70s and she just started taking swimming lessons. So there's, you know, figure out what that thing is for you and decide that you're just going to stretch yourself and go try and do something new because you're not going to find, <laughs> you're not going to find the solution sitting on your sofa watching television or staring out the window. So you may as well just stretch yourself and figure out, let me sit here and think, what is it something that I've really always wanted to do? And now rock climbing. So now you can go rock climbing inside a building where they tether you to something. And it's basically impossible, I guess, for you to fall off of the rock. But if you're really physically inclined or you still think you are, that might be something that you, that you want to try. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about is sharing your feelings with a friend. So now it's kind of going back to who is that person in your life that you can talk to. And I'm only going to give you one kind of caveat with this. If you are dealing with a divorce, I really want you to try to find somebody who's been through a divorce. Who's been through a divorce. 
Maybe somebody who's been through, you know, a, they were in a really serious relationship and went through a breakup, but try to find somebody who's had something similar. So if yours was a breakup, finding somebody who went through a breakup. But if yours was actually a divorce, find somebody who went through a divorce. I'm going to get even more specific. If yours is a divorce and you have young children, see if you have a friend who had that same experience that, or even an older person who went through a divorce when they had young children. And the reason is the, the more similarity they have, the more they're going to be able to understand and the more sort of advice they can give you based on their experience. It doesn't mean it's all going to line up perfectly, but if you have gone through a divorce and you're talking to somebody who's never even had a serious relationship, it's a different conversation. It's a different conversation. And it doesn't mean that they can't listen and that they're not empathetic to some degree, but you want to have a conversation, not just you talking and the person going, wow, that sounds really interesting. And they don't have a clue what this emotion is that you're dealing with or what that experience is or being able to talk about dealing with your attorney or who else is on your support team or the financial aspect of it, or we've got to figure out what to do with the house. It's just going to be better for you if you can talk to somebody who can relate to those experiences. So find somebody, try to find somebody you can confide in who's gone through those experiences. And here's the other one. They did it and they've done it well. So don't go to the friend who has kids like you and went through a divorce similar to yours and they, and they are still angry and bitter. And it's been like seven years. And they also haven't been on a date in seven years. And they're still only talking about their ex. They're, they're still telling the same story about how bad their marriage was seven years later. That is also not the person that you really want to talk to. Because I really want for you not to still be talking about this in five or six years like it just happened last week. Because if you keep telling the story... You keep the story alive in your head. And if it's still alive in your head, it's still living in you. Like you're still experiencing, <laughs> you can still get just as pissed off today as you did when it happened. And that's not what we want for you. So I want to open it up and see if anybody has anything that has been triggered positively in a good way. Have you thought about anything? Are these things that you've done and how did they work for you? Or are some of these things, things that I hadn't thought about that and I'm going to try this one? Anybody? Let me see here. Here we go. Jacqueline, Jacqueline. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Uh, the, the other thing I thought about when going through a divorce or a separation that has involves children, all of those, the five phases that you talk about, mm -hmm. <clears throat> They have an effect on your children. Your children see what mm -hmm. you're going through. Yeah. Um, they see how you're responding to them and to just life's events. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think as older, as adults, we need to, with children, especially young children, um, we need to keep that in mind. And whether counseling is what we need or that good friend, mm -hmm. but uh, Keep in mind that our children are, are watching us and they're seeing how we are tolerating um, this this separation. Mm -hmm. And it also teaches them how right. you react to situations. And sometimes we don't want to be teaching our kids yeah. um, to, to hold on to that kind yeah. of anger. Stay angry at all costs. Yeah, yeah, to stay no. angry and never never get over situations. This is a this is a good point. If you just imagine as adults, we go through these emotional stages and we go through this stage of loss. Imagine that your child is experiencing a similar thing on their level and they don't even have words to explain this. And so yeah. you mentioned something really good. I think if you find a therapist, see if you can get a referral, depending on the age of your child, especially if they're like eight, nine, 10 or preteen teens, Find a therapist that works with children who are going, whose parents are going through a divorce. It's a really unique situation. And the kids are experiencing emotional things and they may not want to talk to you. Um, some kids are really good at expressing themselves, but especially if they're like teenagers, there's going to come a day they're going to be mad at you anyway. So if they have a third person 
to talk to about what they're dealing with with mom, what they're dealing with with dad or whoever their parents are. It could be mom and mom or dad and dad, whoever they are. If the child has a third person outside of those of the adults in their life to talk to, it may make it easier for them to talk because they may not they may feel protective of one parent over the other or they may feel sorry about one parent or they may be feeling like this was their fault. Our logic has nothing to do with how kids think. And so you've heard a lot of times where kids feel like I feel like it was my fault my parents broke up. And there are kids that really experience that because all they know is there was a lot of anger in the house and sometimes the arguments were, were involved them. And they can't separate that the argument may have been about them, but it, they weren't the cause of it. So that's a really good point, mom, that, that people think about the fact that if you have children, they're also going through this divorce too in a different way than you might be. And while they don't have to deal with the lawyers and selling the house, they're still experiencing all of these adjustments at their level. And so get them some help. Going through the emotional cycle, some parents um, some parents have a tendency to try to put on a good face for their kids, and that's not necessarily healthy either because your children need to know, yeah, mom or dad, I'm sad. Like, And sometimes I might cry and I'm going to be okay. And that's the, that's the thing, to let them know this is what it looks like when you're hurt, your feelings are hurt, and you're doing something that's difficult. And yes, we loved each other and it's just not going to work. It's not you and we're going to be okay because it lets them see that you can recover from something really difficult. Um, I, I love the, I have a coach that says, you know, people always say, oh, but kids are always better in a two parent household. Uh, somebody, somebody in the audience, raise your hand or clap or throw something if you know that's not true. Just, <laughs> just having two adults in the house does not mean you have a healthier environment. It means you have two adults. If you have two dysfunctional adults, I don't know how that's healthier for the kid. What is healthy is you could be a single parent, and I know I got a couple of them here. You can be a single parent and raise a pretty well-adjusted child who comes out okay because you were functioning well and you were dealing with your shiggity and not getting stuck in anger. Whereas you could be in a healthy, in a relationship that's dysfunctional and raise your child up in that dysfunction, and it won't matter how many parents they had. So I, I, I love that, that I, I have somebody that I work with, and she's like, no, I'm a big advocate that two-parent household is not what is not the cure-all for everybody. With somebody else, hey, there we go. Hey, Damali. Hey, hey Dr. There. Lisa. How you so, doing? So, yeah. Yeah, I'm great. So I wanted to piggyback on what you just said, and not even you know, grow up in a household, a dysfunctional household, but not grow up at all. I mean, if you are trying to stay for, you know, so, so your, your child can have two parents mm -hmm. and the one is crazy and kills everybody, right. which oh. is, which is what almost happened with me. Yeah. Um, then, you know, you don't, you, that, that's not helping anyone except, actually no one Nobody. because that person is going to prison as well is going to prison while everyone else is dead so, so and i i want y'all and, and, and i hate to be a, and look i hate to be a debbie downer no, I, I'm, getting ready, I'm getting ready to make sure people heard what you just said because you know yeah. and i i do right now that my second accreditation is dealing with uh abusive relationships people that are actually coming out of difficult um, dysfunctional and often abusive relationships. And this is like real, like I don't want to give all the stats and everything now, but what Damali said is real. So you're in a, you were in, she was in a relationship with someone who threatened and almost killed her and the kids. That was the goal. And fortunately she was able to get out, but you're right. And, you know, we think, you know, oh, stay. And I, I say this, um, I say this, we're not we're not Debbie Down in the show. I'll pick it up in a minute. But I say this because I know for a lot of people who grew up in the church, a lot of people who have very strong faith, they have been taught that you stay in a marriage no matter what, because God hates divorce. That is not actually what the scripture means. It's not what it says, but I'm not going to get into that because my show is almost over, but it's not. I don't believe it. And my thing is, even if you do believe that, do you mean, mean to tell me that you think God wants you to stay in a dysfunctional, maybe deadly relationship because otherwise he's going to be upset at you for saving you and your kid's life? 
we just have some real dysfunction around some things that I really think we got to spend time thinking about and stop thinking that our God doesn't have grace and mercy and love and forgiveness built into this equation called life so that people can start having really healthy uh, relationships with themselves so that they're in a position to have know what a healthy relationship looks like with somebody else. Because if you had not had the wherewithal to call for help, well, you, I, you and I would have never met. So thank goodness that something in you was triggered and said, I need to get the heck out of here and get my kids out of here and get some help because this is not a stay here at all costs. So yeah, there are there are different degrees to this dysfunction. And just because there are two adults in the house doesn't mean you should want to tolerate that kind of dysfunction or danger. And it doesn't mean that you're going to raise healthy kids. Matter of fact, it's probably exactly the opposite. If you already know you're dealing with somebody who is just basically uh, dangerous to be around, there's no way you're going to have healthy kids come out of that. There's just no way. You're, you're lucky to come out of it and still have your wherewithal and be healthy, right? And I'm going to say amen to all of that. <laughs> Thank you. So you want to share those feelings about, share those feelings with somebody about your divorce experience and find somebody that can actually relate to this. Um, because that's going to give you, it's going to give you that person that you could confide in, confide in so you don't feel like there's something so odd about you. Believe me, you can find us, even if you don't have that friend, if you need to, that could be where a divorce support group comes in. So look, folks, this has been great. I hope you've, I hope you've gotten something out of this. And Damali, thanks for sharing. Mom, thanks for sharing. Divorces can really be stressful. I mean, I mean, there's, there's no question. Just getting out of a relationship can be stressful. And it can be really unsettling for the adults involved, for the people involved. It's it's even uncomfortable for close friends sometimes. I, I'll hear people say, you know, I feel like I lost some of my friends. And I would say sometimes it's not that they picked a side. They're so uncomfortable, they don't know what to do. So they don't really do anything. They kind of end up like Switzerland. Just I'm not claiming anything. Um, but the, the, the second that you are, are so, <laughs> that you're so stressed, um, that you can't function is is the moment in your life when you realize you need to get some help and you need to do something. Don't allow going through the devastation or, or, or difficulty of a divorce to be the thing that immobilizes you and causes you to stop living your life. You can go through a divorce and still have an amazing, amazing life. You just have to make that choice. There's something like 700,000 Divorces in the United States in 2021. 700,000 people got divorced in 2021. And just FYI, as much as they talk about the divorce rate, the divorce rate and the marriage rate in the United States have both decreased, right? But so you're not alone. 700,000 people in 2021 got divorced. So you are not an anomaly. You are not an outcast. Your life is not over. You don't have to walk around feeling devastated or shamed or embarrassed or any of the things that other people might be telling you you should feel, it's an experience. It may be an unfortunate experience, um, but it's an experience that you've gone through and you have the right and the ability to go through it in a way that you come through feeling good about yourself and your life. So give yourself time to grieve. Know that you're not alone. Know that this is going to get better if you make decisions to move in that direction. So you can use this opportunity to reinvent yourself. I think I just had, Ma, did you pop back up? Yep, I just wanted to say happy birthday to my sister Nadine. Oh, happy birthday, Nadine! It sure is May the tenth. Where's my guy? It is. It's the tenth. Happy birthday! I asked mommy this morning how old you were because I remember you're like a year and a half behind her. Where, where, who just popped up here? Yeah. Oh, Nadine, did you just pop up? Nope, somebody else is on there, but I can't see who it is. Well, we're still wishing you a happy birthday. Let me see. Somebody else? Oh, nope. I didn't see anybody. It looks like somebody's trying to come up, but they can't get on stage. But I do. Yeah. So everybody, happy birthday to Nadine. So everybody, look, have a great night. And I'm going to ask for prayers for my sister, Tammy, who broke her foot yesterday. She broke her. She actually broke her heel. She cracked the heel of her foot. Long story. We're both DIY people. And this time DIY got the best of one of us. So we're wishing she had surgery today. She's out. I think it went well. And uh, we're going to go and see her because her birthday is Saturday. This is a month full of birthdays. A lot of birthdays this month. 
So thanks everybody. Love you. Thank you for everybody that participated. And uh, next week, let a friend know to come join us here at 515 Pacific for my next episode of Divorce is Not a Destination. Bye. Thank you for listening to Divorce is Not a Destination. Please recommend the show to friends and family. You can join my live audience and see upcoming shows by registering for access at firesidechat.com forward slash Lisa Summer Hour. Connect with me on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Divorce is Not a Destination. And catch replays here on Fireside, my YouTube channel, or your favorite streaming service. Until next time, remember, I'm here to help you get unstuck, gain confidence, and thrive beyond your breakup or divorce. Because divorce is not a destination.